If you were asked to describe grace, specifically God's grace, what would you say? Many associate grace with forgiveness and salvation, but is that really all there is to it? A lot of questions come to mind when it comes to God's grace. There's nothing we can do to deserve it. We cannot earn God's grace, but does God require anything of us before he gives us his grace? Can we fall from grace, lose God's favor, even lose our salvation? Many teach that because we're under grace, we don't need to keep God's laws. But is that really true? If there is no law, then why do we need grace? Who needs God's mercy if there is no law? And how are we sinners if there is no law? Let's see what the Bible says about these things. How would Jesus answer these questions? And how can we experience the true grace of God? So, what is God's grace? Grace is not just one thing. It includes all the wonderful gifts that God gives. Grace is an expression of God's love. Grace is God's forgiveness. And the ultimate aspect of God's grace is salvation, eternal life. Today we'll talk about several aspects of God's grace and how we can experience them. Scripture says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Notice what the Bible says in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So we see that God extends his love to us first, before we did anything. Everyone has that aspect of God's grace extended to them, no matter what. God loves you, Jesus died for you, for everyone. He died and was resurrected so we can have eternal life. But does that mean that everyone is automatically saved, no matter what? Some have taught that. But notice Jesus' own words in Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Notice Jesus says that most live according to the broad way, which means they do not live according to God's way. They do what they want, regardless of God's laws. What happens to these many? They are on the path to destruction. Jesus does not say they live forever. He does not say they're given salvation. He says they will die if they don't change their ways. They will be destroyed. So everyone is not automatically saved just because of God's love. Yes, God loves everyone, but he has expectations. He has conditions. He has requirements that we must meet if we are to be forgiven and receive eternal life. Very next verse, Jesus says, Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. So there is a narrow gate and a difficult way that leads to life. Those who receive eternal life choose to live in a way that pleases God. 
Not many choose that way, but you can. It doesn't help that so many teach that everyone will be given salvation no matter what. That's not what Jesus taught. So we see that salvation, uh, eternal life, is conditional. It requires something of us. We cannot earn it, but God does not have to give it to us. Consider this. A father wants to give his son a car for his birthday. The son doesn't have the money to pay for the car, and there's no way that he can earn it. His father wants to give it out of the goodness of his heart and his love for his son. Now, if in the weeks leading up to his birthday, the son shows contempt for his father and is ticketed several times for speeding, the father may choose not to give him the car. No one would think that the father has to give his son the car. He doesn't have to give the gift. In fact, withholding the gift is probably the most loving thing to do, at least until the son starts driving responsibly. In other words, his father has conditions that must be met before giving the gift. In the same way, we can do nothing to earn the gift of God's mercy. We can't earn salvation. God desires to give us the gift. But just as a human parent can expect a certain behavior before giving a gift, our Heavenly Father can and does require certain things of us before giving us the gifts of forgiveness and salvation. And just as a father can take away the car if his son begins driving recklessly again, God can take away any gift he gives us if we willfully sin against him. Now with that in mind, let's talk about God's forgiveness, his mercy. Does God expect anything of us before we receive that particular aspect of his grace? In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul tells us that all have sinned, everyone. He also tells us that we come under God's judgment for those sins. And that judgment is the death penalty. In Romans 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. So because we have sinned against God, we each deserve His judgment not His mercy. Because of our sins, we deserve the death penalty. And that's why Jesus Christ had to die for our sins, so that the penalty could be paid. He died for you. Again, God wants to extend the grace of His mercy and forgiveness. Even though we cannot earn it, and He wants to give it, is it granted to just anyone and everyone, no matter what? Is there anything God expects of us before he forgives us. Let's look again at Romans 6:23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice that the gift of God is eternal life. It's not something that you already have. It's something you must be given. And notice that it comes in Christ Jesus our Lord. Consider John 3.16 again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God requires us to believe in Jesus, 
to accept Him as our Savior. But what does it mean to believe? What does that really entail? Some teach that all we have to do is accept Jesus, but they don't always explain how we do that. Is it just saying some words to that effect? In Acts 2, verse 38, the Apostle Peter proclaimed to the people of Jerusalem, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now remember that anything God gives us, like forgiveness, His Spirit, and salvation, they're all aspects of His grace. So Peter is telling them that they have to do something before they receive the gifts of grace. They didn't deserve the gifts of forgiveness and God's Spirit. They couldn't earn them. But they were expected to do two things before receiving them. Now, Peter wasn't preaching salvation by works, but he did make it clear that repentance and baptism were expected for those who would receive the gifts of forgiveness and the Holy Spirit, and by extension, those who would ultimately receive the gift of eternal life. Now, what is repentance? It is genuine, heartfelt sorrow for our sins and the desire to change, avoiding that sin in the future. We repent of our sins. And according to 1 John 3, verse 4, sin is lawlessness, the transgression of God's law. So Peter is saying we have to repent of our sins. Peter also says we are to be baptized, which is to be immersed in water as a symbol of being buried with Christ and accepting His death for our sins. All our past sins are forgiven and washed away at baptism. At baptism, we enter into a covenant with God. We accept Jesus as our Savior and commit ourselves to live God's way of life. And God promises to give us eternal life, that ultimate grace as a result. Jesus is very direct about the necessity for baptism. In Mark 16, 16, he says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So, to be saved requires action on our part. We must believe, repent, and be baptized. What we're finding is that Jesus himself taught that there are conditions that must be met before receiving the fullness of God's grace and salvation. What does it mean to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? For some, it's just saying a quick prayer, acknowledging Jesus and your belief. But is that really all you need to do? Again, consider Jesus' own words as he tells us that just acknowledging him as Lord is not enough. In Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. 
So those who call on the name of Jesus, considering him their Lord, yet failing to do the will of the Father, won't be in the kingdom of heaven. Those who practice lawlessness, who disregard God's moral laws, will not receive salvation. Many teach that you don't have to obey God because you're under grace. But Jesus' own words shows that obedience is necessary as well. In fact, a major aspect of grace is meaningless without the law. If Jesus abolished the law at his crucifixion, then none of us have broken the law. We're not guilty of sin. If we have no sin, because there is no law to be broken, then we have no need for forgiveness. With no law, we're not sinners, and we have no need for a Savior. But we have sinned. Paul writes in Romans 3, verse 23, that all have sinned. In 1 John 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we need to confess and be cleansed, then we must be guilty of breaking God's law. So grace doesn't do away with the law. It is through grace that a repentant person is forgiven, forgiven for breaking the law. But what about the Apostle Paul? What did he teach about grace? Some churches actually teach that the Apostle Paul's words override the words of Jesus himself. Doesn't that seem strange? Jesus was the Word. He brought the words of life, yet they believe that Paul's words negate Jesus' teachings about what God expects of us. I think the Apostle Paul would be appalled at the idea that his words in any way contradict or supersede the words of our Lord and Savior. Yes, some of what Paul writes is more difficult to understand and often needs some explanation. We have to put his words into their historical context to understand what he meant. But Paul has some very clear statements as well. For example, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 19, he writes that circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Paul saw no conflict between grace and keeping God's law. In his mind, grace didn't negate the law. It allowed a way to be forgiven for breaking it. He actually quotes the Ten Commandments several times. In Romans 13, he writes that we should show love to others by keeping the commandments. Then he goes on to list the same commandments that God gave to the Israelites in Exodus chapter 20. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. In Ephesians, Paul quotes one of the commandments and indicates that the promise associated with it remains in effect. He writes, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Clearly, the Apostle Paul considered the Ten Commandments to be binding for Christians. And it is clear that he didn't teach that grace negated the need to keep God's commandments. But what about when he said we're not under law, 
but under grace. Does that mean that those who are under grace do not have to keep the law? Not at all. Let's read it and understand what Paul was saying. First, keep in mind that in the Bible, the penalty for sin is death. Paul writes, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin brings the death penalty, and in that way it enslaves us to death. Sin also leads to more sin, and in that way it enslaves us to continue in sin. Keep that in mind. And now let's read in Romans 6, verse 14, where Paul writes, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Notice that it's sin that no longer has power over us to enslave us to continue sinning, nor to the death penalty that it brings. Make no mistake, death is still required, but Jesus died for us so that we no longer would have to be enslaved to sin and death. Notice Paul goes on to write in Romans 6, verses 15 and 16, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. Notice Paul says that we are not to continue in sin just because we can be forgiven. He encourages us to live righteously, which he associates with obedience. So grace does not negate the law. Without the law, there would be no need for forgiveness, nor a savior. Law and grace go hand in hand. You need both to please God and to be given salvation. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 12, we read, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Those who please God inherit salvation will be those who both keep the commandments and have faith in Jesus. Both are vitally important in God's eyes. Now consider this question, can we fall from grace? Once we accept Jesus, is our salvation locked in? Are we then saved no matter what we do? Notice what it says in Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. We can indeed fall away. But what does it mean to fall away? Notice what it says in Hebrews 10, verses 26 and 27. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. So if we willfully turn from God, 
breaking His laws intentionally, rejecting His authority in our lives, Jesus' sacrifice no longer applies. We will face judgment. Those are sobering words in the book of Hebrews. Grace is not to be taken lightly, nor used as a justification or excuse to sin. Grace is not to be used as a reason to disregard God's law or think that no matter what we do, it won't matter. It matters to God and it matters to your salvation. How can we experience God's grace? That is, His mercy, His blessings, and eternal life. First, it's important to learn more about what God's grace is and what it's not. Grace is the gift of God's mercy, His forgiveness, His love. Grace includes the gift of salvation. Grace is not a license to sin. It is not a reason to disregard God's law. We receive the fullness of God's grace when we believe, repent, are baptized, receive God's Spirit, and ultimately when we inherit eternal life. When we truly understand it, grace is a wonderful gift. Join us again for Life, Hope, and Truth Presents. I'm Gary Black.